was walking down the street In the town where I was born I was moved to a beat That I never felt before I swear open up my eyes And I took a look around I saw you written across the sky revolution starts now in your own backyard and in your own hometown so sings steve earl in the revolution starts now fantastic song from a fantastic album also called the revolution starts now i think one of the uh greatest political albums of the last couple of decades and in addition to that song starting out the program, we will wrap up the program with some music as well as usual, and we will wrap up with Bernie Sanders' Can Win by Gary Johnson. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. You can find my back catalog of podcasts and some additional information at Bernie-2016.com. So we are closing in. We are about one week away from the first votes in the nomination for the Democratic uh, candidate for President of the United States, and we'll have some information about some of the latest polls. 
Um, but if you are in Iowa, get out there to the caucus next week. Support Bernie Sanders. And if you are not, do anything you can to get the information about Bernie Sanders out there to more people in your own backyard and in your own hometown. First story tonight is from truthdig.com, and this is by Robert Shear. It is called Hillary Blames Bernie for an Old Clintonite Hustle, and that's a rotten shame. The Clintons have no shame that much you can count on. That stupefying arrogance was on full display in the most recent presidential campaign debate when Hillary Clinton countered Bernie Sanders' charge that she was compromised by her close ties to Goldman Sachs and other rapacious Wall Street interests with the retort, quote, Senator Sanders, you're the only one on this stage that voted to deregulate the financial markets in 2000 to make the SEC and the Commodity Futures Trading Commission no longer able to regulate swaps and derivatives, which were one of the main causes of the collapse in 08. Hillary knows that the disastrous legislation, the Commodity Futures Modernization Act, had nothing to do with Sanders and everything to do with then-President Bill Clinton, who devoted his presidency to sucking up to Wall Street. Clinton signed this bill into law as a lame duck president, ensuring his wife would have massive Wall Street contributions for her Senate run. Sanders, like the rest of Congress, was blackmailed into voting for the bill because it was tucked into omnibus legislation needed to keep the government operating. Only Libertarian Ron Paul and three other House members had the guts to cast a nay vote. The measure freeing Wall Street firms from regulation was inserted at the last moment in a deal between President Clinton and Senate Banking Committee Chairman Phil Graham, Republican Texas, who had failed in an earlier attempt to get the measure enacted. Clinton signed it into law a month before leaving office. Sanders soon figured out that he and almost all other Congress members had been tricked into providing a blank check for the marketing of bogus collateralized debt obligations and credit default swaps made legal by the legislation, of which a key author was Gary Gensler, the former Goldman Sachs partner recruited by Clinton to be Undersecretary of the Treasury. Eight years later, when President Obama nominated Gensler to head the Community Futures Trading Commission, it was Sanders who put a temporary hold on the nomination, stating, quote, Mr. Gensler worked with Senator Phil Graham and former U.S. Federal Reserve Chairman Alan Greenspan to exempt credit default swaps from regulation, which led to the collapse of AIG and has resulted in the largest taxpayer bailout in U.S. history. Today, Gensler is the top economic advisor to Hillary Clinton's presidential campaign. And the CFMA, key legislation that was, quote, one of the main causes of the collapse in 08, unquote, enabling the Great Recession, is an enormous embarrassment that her husband on occasion reluctantly has conceded was drafted by his top aides and signed into law by him with great enthusiasm. So uh, the a more complete history of Bernie Sanders' vote on the legislation that Clinton um, blames in part as leading to the uh, banking calamity uh, leading to the, the recent major recession. And, you know, the author of that bill is now a top Clinton campaign aide. So uh, not not a big surprise there, but the uh, disingenuousness with which Clinton blamed Bernie Sanders for that is, uh, you know, beyond the pale. Next story up is from PoliticusUSA.com. And this is by Jason Easley. Democratic presidential candidate Senator Bernie Sanders has taken an eight-point lead over former Secretary of State 
Hillary Clinton, 51 to 43, among likely Democratic caucus goers in a new CNC-ORC poll. And because it didn't state it in that uh, that paragraph there, that poll was an Iowa poll. So this CNC, the latest CNC ORC, sorry, CNN ORC poll in Iowa has uh, Senator Sanders leading 51 to 43. Uh, Sanders' lead is in part built on his economic policies. Democratic caucus goers said they trust the Vermont senator over Clinton on the economy by 22 points. And 67% said they thought he would do more to help the middle class as opposed to 30% who felt that way about Clinton. Clinton led on foreign policy and was seen as more likely to win the general election. A big change in the support for Sanders came on the issue of health care. In the November-December poll, Clinton led Sanders 63 to 31% on the issue of health care. In the new poll, Sanders leads Clinton 51% to 45%. Sanders also led Clinton on the question of which Democrat represented voters like themselves by a margin of 57% to 38%. So a lot of deep uh, support for Bernie Sanders and Bernie Sanders policies in this particular poll of Iowa. There have been a variety of different polls of Iowa recently. Of course, we're closing in on, on the actual voting there in Iowa. And they've certainly been mixed. Um, most have been fairly close. A uh, few point lead for Clinton or a few point lead for Sanders. There have been a couple that show a stronger lead for Sanders in the high single digits, um, with probably a couple showing that uh, lead on the Clinton side. So a lot comes down to how the polls were taken and who was spoken to. At this point, how they how they determined um, which uh, participants in the poll would be counted and why. In additional polling from YouGov.com, uh, Sanders gains on Clinton nationally. The Vermont senator is now seen as "quote unquote" electable by a majority of Americans while Hillary Clinton's lead among likely Democratic voters has narrowed to nine points. Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders has seen a rise in his Iowa and New Hampshire poll numbers, and with the Iowa caucuses less than two weeks away, his national support is growing too. In the latest Economist YouGov poll, he trails national frontrunner Hillary Clinton by just nine points among likely Democratic primary voters, the closest margin yet. Clinton has always been well-liked, compared with Clinton. This poll is no exception. More than half the overall public has an unfavorable view of Clinton, and that has been true in the poll for a while. As for Sanders, among the public overall, more are favorable than are unfavorable, something that cannot be said of any other candidate, Democratic or Republican. Among Democratic primary voters, while 70% have a favorable opinion of Clinton, even more, 78% have a favorable view of Sanders. Sanders' gains on the former Secretary of State in voter preference is accompanied by a gain in his credibility among Democratic voters and the public overall. 51% of the public believe Sanders could win the general election if the Democrat, Democrats nominate him, his highest rating yet in YouGov's polling. So some uh, really strong results for Sanders on the national polling scene um, in this particular poll. And getting down to single digits or low double digits where he is in some other polls nationally um, is much closer than where Barack Obama was at the same time in his first run when he was running against Hillary Clinton. So if uh, things break in a similar way, and there's certainly no way to tell 
whether they will or won't yet. Um, you know, Sanders could be well on his way to a national win in the Democratic primary. And this from the sunjournal.com by Michael Shepard. And this is from the Bangor Daily News, or, or he is a writer for the Bangor Daily News in Maine. Democratic presidential hopeful U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders got a lift in Maine on Tuesday with endorsements from Secretary of State Matthew Dunlap, party godfather and lobbyist Severin Beliveau, and a host of legislators. The progressive senator is an underdog in his race against former U.S. Secretary of State Hillary Clinton, who received early endorsements from most of Maine's big-name Democrats. But Tuesday news conference in Augusta highlighted significant support from the Maine's Maine party's grassroots. Sanders' campaign rolled out more than 60 new endorsements Tuesday, including House Majority Leader Jeff McCabe of Skowhegan, former Portland Mayor Michael Brennan, nearly 40 legislators, and seven county Democratic committee chairmen. Supporters talked most about Sanders' populist brand and his focus on income inequality, with Dunlap and McCabe saying the candidate's policies on trade and taxes could help counteract the effects of mill closures in rural Maine. Quote, if you're not outraged by the disappearance of the middle class here in the state of Maine, then it's time to skip the cocktail parties, McCabe said. It's time to head down to the main street, to the coffee shop. It's time to talk to your neighbors. Still, it will be a tough road for Sanders. Even in Maine, Clinton has been endorsed by top Democrats, including U.S. Rep. Shelley Pingree, Attorney General Janet Mills, House Speaker Mark Eaves, and Senate Majority Leader Justin Alfond. She definitely has a lot of people who have had relationships with her for a long time, so they're loyal and faithful to that, Jackson said of Clinton. But people want someone to stand up against moneyed interests in Washington. So Sanders picking up some endorsements from state legislators in the state of Maine. And next piece is by T.W. Raider from dailycause.com. Bernie Sanders' phone volunteers reach millions of voters per day. With less than two weeks till the Iowa caucuses, it's more important than ever to be identifying voters for the canvassers on the ground. And identifying voters we are by the millions in Iowa alone. At one peak time at one peak call time last weekend, eleven thousand two hundred and thirteen Bernie callers were logged on at the same time and reached six hundred and two thousand seven hundred and forty four potential voters in all the four early voting states in one hour. There are serious questions about whether the databases that the automatic dialer software pulls pulls from can keep up. By comparison with Obama 2008, one of the 2008 phone bank technologists now working with Bernie 2016 says he recalls one night Team Obama had a huge celebration when they hit, quote, a bit over 400,000 voters reached in one evening. Guided by the campaign and built by the all-volunteer coders for Bernie in just under two weeks, the Sanders 2016 campaign has been live for the last month with a purpose-built campaign dialing system and voter identity system, which reaches live voters at rates the builders believe are three to five times faster than any other system used by any other presidential campaign. For contrast, we spoke with Marty, a member of Northeast Ohio's Worcester for Bernie team. She was a Goldwater girl supporter. And that's that's a, a little slang for Hillary supporter um, in her very, very early political uh, youth. Hillary was a supporter of Barry Goldwater. So she was a Hillary supporter who used her phone canvas system 
has, like millions of others, now joined the Bernie team. Quote, I called for Hillary for about 20 hours. All the calls were to Iowa. At least half the calls were wrong numbers or disconnected. I must have gotten 20 dial-up modem lines in Iowa. I guess I still have a lot of those in Iowa, but it was weird that they were on voter call lists. With Hillary's system, you had to make the call yourself. The person who ran the phone bank told me our goal was to reach 15 real people an hour and find one Hillary voter. It was painful. The first phone bank I did for Bernie Bank in December was the same way. I'm pretty sure it was the same system. Now Marty is working on the Bernie Live Vox system and reaching 50 real people every hour. Quote, it's hard to keep up. The Bernie system is so much better. You finish one call and you already have a new person saying hello. It's sick how much better this is. One admin of the system reports an average Bernie phone volunteer having 54 live conversations per hour logged on. This is an insanely high volume that has never been reached anywhere by any campaign to our knowledge. Not only is this a game changer in campaign politics, it serves as a great example of what we can accomplish when we band together for a good cause. The software and organized volunteer force are what real change looks like, demonstrating that this movement that Bernie Sanders is leading can solve complex challenges in real time in the real world. And I think that last part really uh, says a lot about who's who Bernie's campaign is attracting and the innovative uh, steps that they will take to get the job done. And John DeSasso writes on WMUR.com. Three weeks before Granite Staters head to the polls to select their favorites to be party's presidential nominees, U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders of Vermont has built a commanding lead over former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton among likely Democratic primary voters. Sanders leads Clinton 60% to 33% in the latest WMUR-CNN New Hampshire primary poll, with former Governor Governor Martin O'Malley at 1% and 6% undecided. Sanders' huge lead in his neighboring state is fueled by his remarkable popularity and broad appeal. He is viewed favorably by 91% of likely Democratic primary voters and unfavorably by 7%. His support is strong among both men and women, among all age groups, and in all geographic areas of the state. He leads by a three-to-one margin among independents and has surpassed Clinton among Democrats. Six weeks ago, a New Hampshire primary poll had Sanders ahead 50% to 40%. In September, Sanders led 46% to 30%. But as the primary approaches and the race becomes increasingly contentious, voters who are making up their minds are strongly favoring Sanders. At the same time, Jobs in the economy has moved again into the top spot among voting issues on the Democratic primary voters' minds after being briefly supplanted by foreign policy and national security. Sanders and Clinton are both viewed favorably by likely voters, but Sanders' rating is nothing short of astronomical. Voters' view of Sanders is even more favorable now than it was in December, when he was viewed favorably by 83%. Survey Center Director Andrew Smith said Sanders' favorability rating is the highest he has seen in his many years of polling presidential races. Clinton is currently viewed favorably by 65% and unfavorably by 26%. So some great Great results in the recent polling in New Hampshire for Bernie Sanders, where he has a commanding lead over Hillary Clinton in the polls for the primary coming up in New Hampshire. 
and just taking a look to see if this article has an author that I can find. And I don't see an author's name on this particular piece, but this is from PressTV.com. It is called U.S. in Need of Political Revolution Since 1950s. The United States has needed a political revolution since the 1950s when the administration of former President Dwight D. Eisenhower began to conduct covert operations around the world, says a political analyst. Rodney Martin, a former U.S. congressional staffer, made the comments in an interview with Press TV on Monday when asked about the necessity of a political revolution in the U.S., as was suggested by Democratic presidential hopeful Bernie Sanders. Quote, Senator Sanders' statement that America needs a political revolution is true. Interestingly, I would say that America has needed a political revolution since 1963, when President Kennedy was assassinated. Probably even before that, going back to the Eisenhower administration, when the American made a policy decision to engage in covert operations around the globe and to undermine the will of their citizens. Quote, Senator Sanders stated, Sanders' statements are courageous and admirable, and they're true. They are the truth. The problem is the truth has never resonated in the American electorate. It's never triumphed. Martin said that the U.S. government represents, quote, the global interests of international banking and of huge conglomerates. During the fourth and last Democratic debate held in Charleston, South Carolina, late on Sunday, Sanders raised a question about various financial supports his rival Hillary Clinton receives. The analyst advocated Sanders' comments, saying, quote, Every point that he makes is valid regarding her cozy relationship with Goldman Sachs and banking interests. And one of the big things that Clinton pressed for before that last debate in South Carolina was for Bernie to release his plan for health care. She was she and her campaign and her supporters were complaining that, you know, Bernie had talked about his Medicare for all health care plan, but he hadn't released his plan yet. And. They were getting some press um, over the fact that that they were claiming that Sanders wouldn't release his plan before Iowa for voters to be able to see and judge it. And clearly by what's gone on since, Sanders has released his plan so that Hillary and her supporters couldn't attack it if it wasn't released yet. Uh, so Sanders did release his plan. And he released an outline of a plan. Um, even even during that debate in South Carolina, one of the moderators um, claimed or said to Sanders in the kind of lead into his question, um, you've released a detailed health care plan, health care proposal. And Sanders, and I don't know why this wasn't even picked up on a little bit more, Sanders uh, briefly and and softly it because it wasn't it wasn't part of his answer to the question so much but he he kind of challenged the premise that he released a detailed health care plan um he sanders certainly released a health care outline uh, for his plan and i think it, it says a lot about what he wants to do but it is not a detailed plan can't presidential candidates rarely ever release detailed plan the kind of detail that needs to go into legislation the kind of detail that says this plan covers acupuncture and tonsillectomies and abortions. Um, and he's gotten some criticism for not saying those things, but I think that's criticism from people who just want to attack Sanders because they're afraid that he's going to win because of all the support and polls and the, the momentum that Sanders has now. Um, but back to the information that uh, was released. And this um, piece was from BernieSanders.com. This was a press release. 
U.S. Senator Bernie Sanders on Sunday detailed a Medicare for All plan to provide better health care for all Americans at less cost. Quote, universal health care is an idea that has been supported in the United States by Democratic presidents going back to Franklin Roosevelt and Harry Truman, Sanders said. It's time for our country to join every other major industrialized nation on earth and guarantee health care to all citizens as a right, not a privilege. The proposal would expand Medicare, the popular and successful health care program for seniors, and build on the success of the Affordable Care Act, which Sanders helped craft. Patients would be able to choose their own doctors and receive comprehensive care for everything from hospital stays to emergency room visits to primary and specialty care. Sanders' Medicare for All plan would save $6 trillion over the next 10 years compared to the current system, according to a detailed analysis by Gerald Friedman, an economist at University of Massachusetts at Amherst, who is a leading expert on health care costs. In a nation that now spends $3 trillion a year on health care, nearly $10,000 per person, Sanders' plan would save consumers money by eliminating expensive and wasteful private health insurance. The plan would save taxpayers money by dramatically reducing overall health care costs and bringing down skyrocketing prescription drug prices, which are far greater in the United States than in any other country. The typical family earning $50,000 a year would save nearly $6,000 annually in health care costs, Friedman calculated. The average working family now pays $4,955 in premiums for private insurance and spends another $1,318 on deductibles for care that isn't covered. Under Sanders' plan, a family of four earning $50,000 would pay just $466 per year to the Medicare for All program. And just a side note on the cost that, that we now pay, and we all know we now pay for health care, I certainly wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want to go up against many, many thousands of other people out there who have paid and do pay and are paying and owe a heck of a lot more than I do in health care costs. But uh, just this morning, my wife paid $1,700 to a hospital for health care that she received. Um, that's a portion of our outstanding bills that we owe to a variety of different places for relatively ordinary health care. Neither of us are catastrophically ill or have had any major catastrophic health events that have um, driven up our bills. But uh, that was, you know, a payment that, that she made today on some outstanding bills that we have. Um, I, I do not know how much I pay in premiums. I work for a fairly major um, corporation, and I have pretty good health care coverage. I pay a pretty good amount um, in premiums, and I am sure my employer pays even a much larger amount than I pay in healthcare premiums. Uh, we have a relatively large deductible. Um, it's it's incredible how much we pay for healthcare now, and turning the current system, eliminating the eliminating the insurance companies and the overhead and the expense that they add to our health care and the profit that they take from being the middleman for our health care would save us all an enormous amount of money. And that's what Sanders' plan will do. Going back to the story now, businesses would save more than 9400 a year in health care costs under Sanders' plan, the average annual cost to the employer for a worker with a family who makes $50,000 a year would go from $12,591 to just $3,100. So, so a lot of businesses, depending on what they offer and what they pay now, could save $9,000 per employee on health care costs. 
under the single-payer health care plan proposed by Bernie Sanders. The shift to universal health care would be paid for with a 2.2% health care premium calculated under the rules for federal income taxes and a 6.2% health care payroll tax paid by employers and a state tax on the wealthiest Americans and changes in the tax code to make federal income tax rates more progressive. And this goes on to explain the tax rates for uh, that would apply, that would help support this plan. And there's been a, an enormous amount of bullshit out there, mostly by the right wing, Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera, and many others in the right wing punditry and press that said Sanders' top tax rate was going to be 90%, and that's false. That's always been false. The thing that fueled that was that when Sanders was questioned very early in his, early in his campaign of whether he thought that Eisenhower, Republican President Eisenhower's top tax rate of 90%, which actually was 91 or 92%, on the, the wealthiest individuals, whether that was too high. And Sanders didn't didn't say, of course that's too high. Sanders said, not necessarily. Um, so that fueled a lot of that bullshit from, uh, from the right-wing media and from others who uh, do not agree with Sanders' ideas. But this plan puts that to bed. Well, it doesn't really put that to bed because a lot of those people don't care what the truth is and what reality is. They just want to scare people into uh, not supporting these great progressive ideas that Sanders has put forward. So Sanders' top tax rate is 52%. Now, the way that this works is it's 52% for those who earn $10 million or more a year. But that doesn't mean that we're taking 52% of the $10 million that you earn. It means for all the dollars you earn above $10 million, the government is going to tax those dollars on 52%. The government taxes the dollars lower than $10 million at, at a lower rate. Um, it's, and Sanders has put out his whole tax plan, which explains the rates um, that he's put forward that will help support him paying for the plans that he has in place. Uh, that 52% would apply to earnings of $10 million or more a year, a category that in 2013 inclu included only the, the 13,000 wealthiest households in the United States. So this is a very small percent. I think it's in the neighborhood of the top two hundredths of a percent of earners in the United States. Um, Something like that. It's a very, very small number of people who earn more than $10 million a year. So that is the launch of Sanders' uh, health care proposal. And, of course, since that launched with a, a lot more detail than he had put forward prior to that, and quite a lot of detail explaining how he would pay for the plan, um, everybody's been commenting on it since that time. So one of those stories was in Nation of Change org <clears throat> This week Hillary Clinton's campaign launched a barrage of assaults on Bernie Sanders' single-payer health care plan, claiming that the plan would be extremely expensive and would quote dismantle Medicare and private insurance unquote, as well as Obamacare and the children's health insurance program. Many of these statements were made directly from Hillary Clinton's daughter, Chelsea. 
Her attacks have already come under close scrutiny, with many experts calling them nonsense and dishonest. Sanders claims that he would be able to enact his plan, Medicare for All, without raising taxes on the middle class. Sanders' plan would call for Medicare to, quote, cover every man, woman, and child as a single-payer national health care program, which he claims would, quote, result in better care for more people at less cost. So what is the truth about Sanders' plan? Would it really save America, American families money every year? According to the leading political fact-checker, it would. PolitiFact conducted an analysis this week of the plan to find out exactly how much it would cost or save the Amer- average American family. According to their analysis, the average family would save between 505 and $1,823 a year. They also state that the wealthiest Americans would be paying for the bulk of the new health care plan at $117 billion a year. The other 95% of the population would be paying $126 billion, coming from new payroll taxes. Although a new tax would be imposed, there would be no more costs associated with health care premiums, deductibles, or copays. PolitiFact notes that their calculated numbers are lower than what the Sanders campaign estimates savings to be, between 3800 and 5100 but regardless, American families would be paying less than they are paying under the Affordable Care Act. Many questions are still up in the air. Some experts state that Sanders is overestimating the potential reductions in health care costs that he plans to use to pay for the plan. Other experts have a brighter outlook. According to Peter Hussey, a health policy analyst at the Rand Corporation, quote, the tax rates are probably on the low side of what would be necessary, but not out of the ballpark. Other experts say that with a few tweaks, the plan could provide both coverage and a surplus of money. And the next story is from politicalpeopleblog.com. One revolution away, Bernie Sanders' economic vision is not only feasible, but necessary. The conversation on the feasibility of Bernie Sanders' economic policies is best split into three questions. Are Bernie's policies affordable? If put into practice, will the policies have a positive impact on the United States overall? And do the policies have any chance of being accepted and implemented over the course of the next five years? The answer to all these questions is a tentative yes. Tentative, since America can swing the cost of Bernie, reap the benefits of Bernie, and of course, elect Bernie, only if they fully embrace the economic revolution that he calls so frequently and aggressively for. Although he brands it as a, quote, political revolution, at its core, the revolution would be all uh, would be about money, as politics is, for the sake of discussion, merely a vehicle by which the country's resources are controlled and distributed. The most concrete of the yeses to the three questions listed is the first, affordability. One of the primary techniques of anti-progressive politicians is to use big, scary-sounding numbers to unnerve the voting public for who, for the most part, would benefit from such spending. For a country so deeply in debt, every dollar saved counts, right? Less spending is better for the country, they insist. End of story. No discussion. These types of absolutist maxims about governmental thrift distract from that fundamental function of our political infrastructure to spend resources, a.k.a. money, for the greater good of the population. More specifically, the government's duty is to spend money in the most efficient and productive ways possible. When considering this fundamental truth, and with some expert analysis, Bernie's big scary price tags start to seem a whole lot more reasonable. Take, for example, his biggest initiative, the estimated $15 trillion single-payer health care system. Though the dollar amount is jarring at first, based on expert analysis, it would actually save Americans money if executed correctly. According to the economist Gerald Friedman, writing in response to a Wall Street Journal piece which misrepresented his own figures to smear the Sanders campaign, quote, 
By spending these vast sums, we would, as a country, save nearly $5 trillion over 10 years in reduced administrative waste, lower pharmaceutical and device prices, and by lowering the rate of medical inflation. With the government taking the reins from private healthcare corporations and paying for the medical process top to bottom, those corporations would lose a great deal of profit. Taxes would rise for the upper, upper middle classes, and wait times for service would increase. All the usual facts used to demonize a universal system. But these are the inevitable drawbacks of a more inclusive public system, which would result in millions more individuals covered and thousands of lives saved. Does anyone like the drawbacks of the universal system? Of course not. Does anyone like swallowing a bitter pill to fight an illness? No, but it is necessary. The health of society relies on the health of the individual, both figuratively and literally. Similar drawbacks would occur for bolstering Social Security benefits, an estimated $1.2 trillion expenditure, reforming higher education costs, expanding paid medical and family leave, and a handful of other high-profile expenses. But all of these programs offer significant long-term benefits for the working and middle classes, and thus the health of the vast majority of the population. All of this rides on the back of a massive fiscal boost the country would, ideally, receive with the closing of tax loopholes and tax havens, which cost the economy over $100 billion per year. Although Bernie's economic vision would cost more for a rare minority, it would result in a better life for many, answering the second question. In a country with such a large population, not every citizen can have the nation's priorities set exactly in their favor. Once again, it is the duty of the government to carry out what actions will have the best impact on the greatest amount of citizens. This is the very heart and soul of democracy, and the reason voting matters. Those officials who receive the most votes are charged with carrying out the wishes of their supporters. Over the course of the last few decades, that duty has been distorted to the far opposite extreme. A great deal of government officials now work for the few, stymieing programs that would distribute resources and the services they pay for to the masses, often deceiving the public into believing that they have its best interests in mind in order to win elections. The cure for this is a political revolution, which calls for honest elected officials who truly do work for the greater good of the greatest possible amount of American beneficiaries. Finally, the answer to the third question is a much less resounding yes, but a solid perhaps, if the polls are to be trusted. One could argue that the different facets of Bernie's economic vision are themselves inevitable. Universal health care, access to education, higher wages, and all the other radical policy proposals can be found in one place or another in the world. In some countries, they are commonplace, though it is foolish to directly compare so unique a nation as the U.S. to any other society we can only carry on such grinding inequality and social deprivation for so long. The American people, utilizing strength in numbers, will come to demand these now basic first-world human rights. What lies in question is whether Bernie Sanders is a harbinger of a drastic shift in the American way of life, or merely a stormy foreshadowing of things to come. Unfortunately, the latter seems more likely, for even though voters want change now, if Bernie is elected, corporate lobbyists and their conservative agents in government will not suddenly disappear. A Bernie presidency might only be the first victory in a long and ugly economic revolution. And uh, I think that all is, is really important in the political revolution that Bernie is calling for. Bernie's election is not the culmination of the political revolution. Bernie's election is the start. It's the beginning. It's the first tiny step. And that journey will not be an easy one. We will have to fight every step of the way. We'll have to fight the corporate interests. We'll have to fight all of the large corporations and the politicians that they buy it's it's why we have the policies we have now it's why insurance companies make so much money it's why banks make so much money 
off of the people. It's why corporations can take enormous tax uh, deductions or hide money overseas um, and keep it from from being taxed, depriving us from depriving the government from funding that it would use as a resource to support its programs and its policies, which ostensibly are set up to support the people. But with the uh, way that money runs politics, as Bernie says, the Congress doesn't uh, regulate the banking industry. The banking industry regulates Congress. And our next story is from the Burn Report. And this is, I believe, a press release from Council 28, AFSCME, Washington Federation of State Employees. The Executive Board of the Washington Federation of State Employees, AFSCME Council 28, on Sunday, adopted a motion to endorse Senator Bernie Sanders for the nomination of the Democratic Party for U.S. President. The National Union endorsed former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton in October, but grassroots support for Sanders has always been high amongst Federation members, and Sunday's action reflects the homegrown perspectives. Sanders, Clinton, and former Governor Martin O'Malley all actively sought the national endorsement, both the national endorsement of Clinton and the Federation's endorsement of Sanders show a commitment to the future, not fear, distortion, or demagoguery. That said, the Federation's board in, board's endorsement of Sanders has a timely and practical effect. The presidential nomination process, like the presidential election itself, that still relies on the state-by-state electoral college system, is a state-by-state process. So nationally, polling numbers are only a snapshot in time and discount the reality that candidates are competing in a series of state-by-state contests spread over several months. A candidate ahead in the national polls now may not be in a few weeks if he or she stumbles in one of the early caucus or primary states. The Federation Board's action recognizes that reality. It's a recommendation to members who will participate in the Democratic Precinct Caucuses in Washington State on March 26th in the Washington State Democratic Presidential Primary on May 24 to support Sanders. And in addition to the support from that uh, state union, Sanders got some support from a national uh, news magazine This story is from Politico.com by Hadas Gold. For just the third time in its history, liberal magazine The Nation has endorsed a presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders. The endorsement comes on the heels of news the Vermont senator is reporting record fundraising halls and of his endorsement by Move On, the liberal advocacy organization. Bernie "Bernie Sanders and his supporters are bending the arc of history towards justice, the magazine's editors wrote, praising Sanders' positions on minimum wage, health care, education, Wall Street, and foreign policy. Quote, theirs is an insurgency, a possibility, and a dream that we proudly endorse. While the editors endorse Sanders, the endorsement acknowledges Sanders' path to the presidency isn't perfectly clear. He opposes Hillary Clinton in the primary, and the magazine's editors noted he lacks deep support among minority voters. But the endorsement stressed what it characterized as the independence of his campaign. Quote, voters can trust Sanders because he doesn't owe his political career to the financial overlords of the status quo. Freed from these chains of special interest, he can take the bold measures that the country needs. And while Clinton would be preferable to any Republican candidate, the magazine editors wrote that there are, quote, limits to her presidency. Her talk of seeking common ground with Republicans and making deals to, quote, get things done in Washington will not bring the change that is so desperately needed, the editors wrote. 
The nation has only endorsed three candidates in its 150-year history. Jesse Jackson in 1988, Barack Obama in 2008, and now Sanders. Quote, We do so now impelled by the awareness that our rigged system works for the few and not for the many, the endorsement reads. Quote, Americans are waking up to this reality and they are demanding change. This understanding animates both the Republican and Democratic primaries, though it has taken those two contests in fundamentally different directions. So a big endorsement from a national news magazine for Bernie Sanders. And in addition to Bernie laying out his plans for how he is going to pay for his universal health care, he has also put out on his um, site how he is going to pay for many of his other programs. This is one of the one of the big um complaints that has dogged Sanders since very early in his uh campaign is he he doesn't know how to pay for it. He won't tell us how he's gonna pay for it. Um he can't afford to pay for it. This is all nonsense since the beginning as Sanders has rolled out various pieces of his platform, he has almost always uh, rolled out how he would raise the money to pay for those elements of his program. So he did, uh, or his campaign did, collect a number of those all in one place. In Under issues in on his website is a document called How Bernie Pays for His Proposals. Bernie Sanders has a plan to pay for every spending program he has introduced to date. And there's a lot of information here, so I'm not going to read all the details. But I will talk about some of these plans and how he would raise the money to pay for them. Sanders has proposed a $1 trillion plan to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure and put 13 million Americans to work. I think this is a huge plan from Sanders. The potential to put up to 13 million Americans to work in good paying jobs by spending desperately needed money on or by spending money on improving our desperately uh, in need of improvement infrastructure, I think is a a huge plan. And to raise that money to pay for it, um, the Rebuild America Act, as he calls it, will be paid for by making corporations pay taxes on all the profits they have shifted to the Cayman Islands and their offshore tax havens, which Congressional Research Services estimates may currently create losses in tax income that approach $100 billion annually and by closing some other tax loopholes. Sanders' College for All program, Making Public Colleges and Universities Tuition-Free, has a cost of about $75 billion a year, and that would be paid for by imposing a tax on Wall Street speculators. This is a very small tax on Wall Street transactions, but that very small tax would generate about $300 billion in revenue. Expanding and extending Social Security Senator Sanders has proposed expanding Social Security and extending the solvency of this program until 2065. So this Social Security now is solvent for at least the next 18 years. It can pay every penny that it will owe in that amount of time. So don't believe anybody who says there's a Social Security crisis and it's and it's going broke. It certainly isn't. Beyond the next 18 years or so, there it's it's not on solid ground at this point. So this plan by Sanders would do two things. It would expand Social Security. It would provide more Social Security income for people that rely on Social Security. And it would extend the solvency of the program until 2065. This, to me, is a total no-brainer. This gets paid for by lifting the cap on taxable income 
above $250,000, so the wealthy pay the same percentage of their income into Social Security as working people. Right now, there's a cap on paying into the Social Security trust fund or paying into the Social Security system. Um, so people that earn $120,000 a year, which is a lot of money, uh, pay the same amount into the Social Security um, system as people who earn $100 million a year, which is a hell of a lot of money. There's no really good reason in my book why that cap should exist. I think that the cap should be eliminated. The Social Security tax should apply to all income, should apply to the income that we earn when we uh, work and toil at jobs for hours and hours on end. In addition to capital gains income, I feel that all income should be treated 100% the same. And Sanders does feel that way, at least for some taxes. I don't know if his Social Security tax is one of those taxes. I think that that could actually allow the Social Security tax rate to actually come down a bit and still be able to pay for the expansion and the solvency of Social Security through 2065. Sanders has proposed a youth jobs bill, which would be a $5.5 billion program to create 1 million jobs for disadvantaged young Americans. And he would pay for that by ending the carried interest loophole that allows billionaire hedge fund, hedge fund managers to pay a lower tax rate than nurses or truck drivers. Paid family and medical leave. This is a bill that is in Congress now. This uh, supports 12 weeks of paid family and medical leave to all workers, and this would be paid for by a payroll tax. So there would be a small tax that would be on payroll for all workers. Um, the total tax is about, I believe it's 0.4%, and that would be split in, in the current bill that's in Congress right now. That would be split, so half of that, 0.2, would be paid for by the employer and point two would be paid for with a deduction from the employee's income. This is the this is the huge tax that Clinton is attacking Sanders for raising taxes on the middle class. It would cost uh about a dollar sixty one a week for the typical American worker. And that would fund twelve weeks of paid family and medical leave to all workers. Again, a small price to pay, in my opinion for a huge benefit. And renewable energy and clean jobs. Sanders has a plan to invest in clean, sustainable energy sources. And this would be paid for by stopping taxpayer-funded giveaways to oil, gas, and coal companies. If we just cut the amount that we subsidized the oil, gas, and coal industries, we would have a lot of money to be able to spend on subsidizing good, clean, and renewable energy for our country that will move us forward um, to a much better future. So that's an outline of some of Sanders' plans and that, in fact, he does indeed have ways to raise the funds to pay for all of those plans. And that will wrap up this episode of Bernie 2016. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to reach out to me, you can send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com. You can follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. You can find out more on Bernie-2016.com. And as I close out this week, you will hear... Bernie Sanders can win. And that's what we should all be hearing and all be saying. And this is by Gary Johnson, which you can find on YouTube. Thanks for listening. Bernie Sanders is the real thing. Yeah, Bernie is the real thing. I believe that he could change things. Cause Bernie is the real thing 
Bernie Sanders speaks truth to power. Yeah, he speaks truth to power. That's why we need him now. He's got the nerve to speak truth to power. Bernie Sanders tells it like it is. He's not afraid to tell it like it is. Says what he means and he means what he says. Bernie Sanders tells it like it is. He's not working for the millionaires. He's not beholden to the billionaires. They rigged the game and it's just not fair. So he's not working for the billionaires. Everybody said he could not win. But then the people started rolling in. A lot of people got excited again. 